Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is the NCAST Podcast. I am your host, Brian D. Leifer, and I'm joined today by our founder, CEO, Prince. Hey, what's up? How you doing, listeners? <laughs> uh, so today we actually have something special for you all. We plan on diving deep into game theory. Prince and I are going to tackle this topic, uh, not only just the technical math concept behind the terminology, but also how it relates to business, psychology, and more. For the record, we're discussing this topic out of pure interest and curiosity. So any cool facts you would like to share with us or corrections that you'd like to make, be sure to give us a shout out on Twitter and... Yeah, we really appreciate it. All right, so uh, join us as we explore the mystery behind game theory and how it's used in our everyday lives. Just to add on to feedback, we're always interested. We never shy away from criticism. (laughs) Always trying to get better out here. Yeah, if if you think we suck, you know. If it's valid like salad only. (laughs) Only if it's valid like salad. If your criticism is just hate, we're going to go past it. Mm. scroll past yeah i mean like if you want to say we suck you know just provide us with you know evidence that we suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know exactly. it's really helpful exactly it's helpful <laughs> it needs all right like salad all right so uh yeah i'll start us off um before diving into the definition of game theory let me share what is called the prisoner's dilemma which is actually my favorite part about the concept Ooh, prisoner's <clears throat> dilemma Yep, yep. So, say me and Prince here uh, committed a crime. A minor crime. A minor crime, yes. A minor crime. And we are both taken in for questioning. And we are both separated. And we don't particularly trust each other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He could screw me over. I don't know what this guy's thinking. Mm -hmm. He he, he could screw me over, too. So we don't know. I don't don't trust this guy right here. Mm -mm. (laughs) So we're taken into questioning. And say that we both do not confess to our crime. We would both receive two years in prison. However, if I confess and Prince here does not, I will receive no prison time. Prince could receive eight years in prison. And this is where snitches get stitches concept comes from. <laughs> because you, if you snitch, the other guy gets double the penalty. Mm-hmm. That's that's very mm-hmm. screwed up. Mm-hmm. See, there's there is factual evidence behind snitches get stitches. Exactly. And uh, so yeah, vice versa. If Prince snitches and I keep my lips shut, he gets off scots free. I go in the slammer for extra time as well. Now here's the interesting part: if we both confess to our crime, we would both receive. Four years in prison, let's say. So, the when you look at it at a... Why prison? Can we do fines? Like, fines? So, yeah, because like four years in prison for a minor crime. I'm thinking minor crime, I'm thinking graffiti. Like, I'm thinking, I don't know. Well, it depends on the state. Yeah, but like <laughs> four years is like a B and E. You know what I mean? Like four years is like stealing... 
Yeah, if you want to get technical, I'm just I'm just thinking like because you're doing like a basic diagram for illustrating it for our audience. So, mm. I mean, this is the way that you know that's usually taught in class. No, you're you know, right. You're yeah, right. this is the, right. usually the, this is how like most people learn. I just you know? feel like four years is extreme. It's like <laughs> you know, we trust each other. I mean, four years here. is better than say one of us snitches and the other doesn't, and we it, get like double that. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, the Interesting part about this all is that the preferred method for both of us would do be to confess. Because say I confess and Prince does not, I get no jail time. If I confess and Prince also confess, I receive jail time but less than I would if I did not confess and Prince did. So therefore... Confessing is the dominant strategy. And that's a co- co- uh, cooperative strategy. I can't <laughs> talk to that. So that'd be a cooperative strategy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, how is this applied? So, me personally, I think this is really uh, interesting when you apply it into game design. Because, you know, as you may have known from my spotlight, uh, I'm really into video games. I like talking about games. I like studying games. And game theory applied in video games at first feels a little complicated, but when you break it down to its science, it actually makes sense. So for the sake of this example, I'm going to use a very specific genre of games that I'm sure maybe a lot of you who have played a decent amount of games may have played once or twice. So you're going to relate it to our listeners. Um, try, to, try to like, yeah, just make it easier for yeah. a discussion because it could be very complicated if you're really diving into game theory. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to point interest in like what we find interesting about mm-hmm. game theory, mm-hmm. how it relates to our personal mm-hmm. lives. Yeah, so this is something that may that our some of our listeners uh, may relate to, some may not, and some may uh, have something to learn today. Exactly. Um. So, where was I? Ah, yes. Game theory and game design. So, the specific genre I'm talking about here are uh, fighting games. Uh, The reason why I'm using fighting games is because, uh, unlike other sort of competitive games, fighting games are usually just 1v1. You know, it's one mind against another. Fighting games such as, like, Tekken, um, uh, Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, Tekken, Smash Bros., Street Fighter. Street Fighter. Uh, those are real popular ones. Okay. Um, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of games in the genre, especially as of late. It's become a very uh, popular genre, I guess, in like this new like Twitch era. And you know, with esports blowing up, a lot of tournaments are getting streamed online. But I digress. Um, game the way game theory works in fighting games is: say I'm playing Edom in Tekken, and say the match starts. And I dash up to Adam, and I throw out a, a particular move that is... There's not a third person in this room. I'm Prince Atameo, just so you know. <laughs> All right, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, um, go ahead. So, say I throw out a move that leaves me neutral on block, meaning I recover out of the move the same time that Adam recovers out of his block stun. Okay. Now we are in what's called a 50-50 scenario. Mm. I have the opportunity to follow up with another move. 
Adam also has the opportunity to either follow up with a move of his own or react to what I'm doing. And the goal of this exchange is to get the advantage. My goal is advantage to... Advantage like leverage, like... Yeah, leverage of the map, like... I'm not sorry, not map, but I'm le- leverage of the match. Um... Whoever wins, you know, 50-50 exchanges usually is the, like, the player that would go on to dominate the round. Okay. Uh, whoever is really, really good at winning at 50-50s, that's the key, right? Winning 50-50s means that you're in, like, your opponent's head. You have, both players are guessing. Okay. You're essentially guessing. You're guessing what your opponent's going to do, and you're going to do a move that you think would counteract that. So if you play it long enough, um, um... Just assuming you play long enough, you can start taking or making educated guesses. Yes, educated guesses, not just wild guesses. Educated guesses, but that's after like experience and playing for a while. I guess. Yeah, you have to uh, know your opponent really well, well really well. Yeah, like um, habits and behaviors. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I particularly really love fighting games. Um. So yeah, fifty fifties. You have to react to what your opponent's doing. And that's where it's kind of like the whole dominant strategy comes because there are, if you know your opponent really well, there are specific things that you can do that you can, it yes. helps you, It helps you make it a win-win situation for you? Yeah. Or closer um, to it? Yeah, closer to it. Um, you know, not every exchange is one-sided. Of course sometimes, not. Yeah, sometimes you'll be in me Probability. Yeah, like sometimes, you know, you might come have the advantage after the exchange. Sometimes you might have disadvantage. Sometimes it might just be set back to neutral again. This time, you know, maybe there's like a sort of like a pushback. So it's like far away neutral. So where the 50-50 scenario is ended. But uh, it's still like a neutral scenario. So that uh, no particular player has control of the match yet. Um, okay. So diving a little bit deeper into this, there's also a specific sort of um, 50-50 mix-up called option selects. And these are a bit more complicated. These are things that are not technically intended to be in games. It kind of stems from maybe like a sort of a bug or an oversight on the developer's part. But nonetheless, it's interesting because what option selects are... Say, let's repeat that scenario me and Adam had. I dash towards Adam. I throw out a certain move. After throwing out this certain move, I sort of input a follow-up action that would simultaneously cover three potential scenarios. So a counterattack. Essentially, yes. I mean, that's that's how... in my ears, I don't know mm-hmm. about our listeners. In my mm-hmm. ears, it sounds like a counterattack, but c- continue. It's like it's like me doing a move that covers most of my most, if not all of my bases on what you're going to do. So it's a little difficult to talk about this without bringing up specific examples. So say it, it sounds like probability in the sense of percentage of if he does this. Yeah, like it's like likeness of me getting damaged, likeness of me tacking back. Yeah, three yeah. sections. Yeah, so to kind of bring in a specific example, um, in Street Fighter, I believe Street Fighter Four is where it had this. Uh, what a lot of players would do is they would do a jump in, and then they would do like a heavy kick attack with their jump in. If the opponent blocks the jump in, they well, 
back, let me back up a bit. They would do that heavy attack with their jump in, and then immediately after do an input buffer for a follow up attack called a uh, they call it the dragon punch, which is like a sort of uppercut invincible move. It's again, it's it's a little uh, hard to imagine without knowing the game in particular. But for the people who do know Street Fighter, it's the sure you can move. Um, so yeah, you do the jump and attack, you buffer the Shoryuken. If your opponent blocks the attack, then the Shoryu automatically, if they block or get hit by it, the Shoryu automatically comes out. If they dash backwards, actually no, I'm getting mixed up. If they block the attack, the Shoryu doesn't come out and they're safe. If they get hit by it, the Shoryu does come out, and it's a follow-up combo. If they backdash, the Shoryu also does not come out, and they're safe on landing. That's those very, are three options. Yes, okay. those are three. Those are three potential things that Adam could react to what I'm doing. But me myself, I'm only inputting one action. Okay. <clears throat> Less effort to cover all probabilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or more, not less. It's more efficient effort. Yeah. Again, this is not necessarily something that's intended to be in these kinds of games. Yeah. It's like exploiting a bug. But so it's a it, loophole. Yeah. Essentially, it's a loophole in the game code. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, it kind of makes its own sort of metagame. And it's really interesting to watch at, like, high-level play. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What about... uh? Meta games, like uh, what? What are topics about meta games that you're interested about that relates to game theory? Meta games, who? So when I think of meta games, I always think of you know, getting into your opponent's head. Um, it goes back to you know what I was just saying about the whole fifty-fifty uh, mix-ups. It's like reading your opponent, and. Uh, reacting well not reacting but sort of guessing what they plan on doing and then vice versa they're guessing what you're gonna do so the key to meta games is obviously coming up with the dominant strategy kind of predicting your opponent's habits and having that sort of best answer for all kinds of scenarios sometimes you may take a loss but it's like a lesser loss than say if you were to go with something else and maybe the gains aren't as big of gains as other sort of uh actions you could have took but it's less risk uh and yeah that's that's how like meta usually works that's so interesting how like you brought that all together and how it relates to what i'm interested about game theory because mm-hmm. you're interested in something very it relates to game theory but it's it's a very, very different application of it. Yeah, it's a very different application. Mm-hmm. It's competitive game theory, mm-hmm. which is more related to business and psychology and mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. your market and your competitors. Mm-hmm. Like, so how about you uh, get into that? Um, so, like, game theory, at least from a business standpoint, is basically, like, even if a company rationally followed their own interests for their business, the best outcome th- that they can reach with their competition is by cooperating. Mm-hmm. Like, even though if they go, say they want to advertise at a lower budget and their competition notices that and they're still getting more from that low budget, their competition is going to go low budget. 
and say it's vice versa for a high budget. They'll do the same thing. But then if they come in the middle and try to find like an even price, there's no price leader, especially when I get to the topic of types of competitions. There's no um there's no real like movement in the market because they're trying they're trying to make as much profit without like screwing each other over. Mm-hmm. Which then leads to my next topic of types of competition. So the types of types of competition in business is perfect competition, which is like harvesting like uh oranges or strawberries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't really mess with the price market in that type of competition because mm-hmm. if that supplier is kind of make a consumer pay four fifty a unit, and the other supplier is doing three fifty a unit, they're going to go to the other supplier. It's almost like the same type of strawberries. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many, there's so many people, and it's such an easy business to open. You just have mm-hmm. to grow food. So, with perfect competition, does that also imply that like everyone's on equal footing? Pretty much, and it's so easy to bear entry. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I guess I should get them fundamentals about market, like basic understandings of market variations. Like when you have a market, there's a number of products, there's control of prices, there's bear to entry, and then in some markets, it's harder to get into than others. Mm-hmm. And then it's just dollars back to perfect competition. Mm-hmm. How it's easy for bare entry because all you really have to do is have a plantation or mm-hmm. a farm and you grow and mm-hmm. you harvest. Mm-hmm. So, is perfect competition something that like people who uh, really love capitalism really like? That's kind of like the end game with capitalism. Like it's having, it's like, more of an industrial revolution type idea because we're going we're going more to a technological era. Mm-hmm. So like. Now competition is more about innovation, mm-hmm. but I'll get I'll get into that. I'll get into that okay, more. So, okay. um, the next type of competition is a monopoly. I mean, we all heard about this. You know, You've monopoly, all played the board game. <laughs> examples like McDonald's and Burger King, yeah. right? It's yeah. the same type of product, just a little difference, mm-hmm. like difference in name, a slight difference in price, maybe like ninety eight cents or something like that, mm-hmm. ninety nine cents. But it's it's a monopoly. Like, mm-hmm. They're like the top. Fast food chains in America, they're mostly mostly similar. Or you can do, uh, would it be Chick Fil A and Popeyes? Or that is that a bad combination? I'm like just for thinking, comparison's sake. Yeah, uh, they they offer things pretty different. Like yeah. they both are known for their chicken, but in very different ways. When I think of you know Popeyes, I think of like you know. I think the difference is their customer service. Quite that's frankly. also big. That's yeah. like the biggest thing for mm-hmm. me that stands out. But I can see them as a comparison, at least in my opinion. Many people probably think that's mm-hmm. different. Um, and then it goes into type of monopolies. Uh, one type is a monopolistic competition, which basically is low barriers to entry. And basically what I talked about, the McDonald's and uh, Burger King. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example would be like furniture stores. You see the same product almost every furniture store. They're just branding it differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another type of uh, monopoly system is a. Uh, I'm going to mess this up. I've been messing it up the entire time. Uh, <laughs> oligopolies. That's about right. Yeah. So oligopolies are basically high barriers to entry, but like few at the top, few companies yeah. at the top control the market. So in like layman's terms, right? Monopolies are like you have like one sort of business that Mono, like tower, yes. yeah, towers over everything else. Oligopolies, <laughs> even I'm missing. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
are you kind of take that one dominating company and kind of just like make it a group exactly that's that's then, essentially and, and the group is like say what's going on now with social media like twitter instagram yeah facebook those yeah. are the top dominant like yeah. social media platforms that mm-hmm. everybody use and, and everything like, is just well below exactly mm-hmm. well below and they're just almost damn near startups compared to them mm-hmm. so but times will change they're not going to be at the top forever but mm-hmm. they're just controlling the market right now remember what happened to myspace exactly <laughs> see but like how competition like avoid um price changes and oligopolies is um they work with uh, non-price competition tactics, which means they work on their value and, and how they provide service in a unique way compared to their competitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because, like, oligopolies, it's it's high high barriers to entry. So it's like it, a lot of new startups and businesses can get into that market because it's not like a monopoly, like where there's just top dogs in that market and it's very hard to enter that, that mm-hmm. type of market mm-hmm. and try to build from where they're coming yeah, from. Yeah, that high barrier of entry. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then another th- way that uh, businesses try to stay on top or get to the top is price leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess one example would be like com- laptops like HP, Dell, Apple, um, Lenovo. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Asics? Acer. Acer. And you have Asus. Asus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, say Apple moves their price, Samsung or uh, Dell are going to move their price mm-hmm. when it comes to laptops or tablets or phones. Mm-hmm. So, or, or not Dell. I guess Microsoft. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and then I actually want to tie back to what Brian introduced us. Is uh, what relates to business too is the prisoner's dilemma, mm-hmm. and how that relates to business because business uses the same tactic except it's called payoff matrix. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So um, basically, a payoff matrix is. Let me get the diagram out. I know we don't have our, <laughs> our videos out yet, but I'm actually showing Brian a diagram. There's uh four squares. Brian's uh, actually vertical. I'm horizontal in the squares. And then we just have prices in the squares. So in the shade, you'll have Brian on the top left corner. He has $200 under his price of profit. And then I would have $200 on the price of profit on the top left. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom left... I would have less profit, which would be $50, and Brian would have more profit, which would be like $300, and it'd be vice versa for the top right, and then the bottom right, we'd break even because we'd find a even price that we both agree on. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like uh, how the prison dilemma works with if you cooperate and do not snitch. Yeah. If, yeah. if you don't snitch, like if you cooperate... In the business market, and you find an even price where you both make the same amount of profit. Both parties make them more profit. Exactly. In the long run, at least. Now, this is just a simplified version of it. Not business market. Always use this tactic. And it's very hard to anticipate what your competitors are going to do. Mm-hmm. This, Yeah, that's why I went into probability. Like, they go percentage and probabilities. Like, 
the best percentage will give you the best assumption what your competition is going to do with their price. Mm -hmm. uh, the best example is if you go out and you see gas price changes and you look at the competition, like Shell and BP. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other topic in its own. Yeah, but like that's just one of one of the examples of a payoff matrix. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. See, uh, when businesses aren't cooperating, the consumers win in the end because they have less profit, but we, the consumers, are dealing with lower prices. Is that correct? Depends on the competition. So, mm -hmm. say one competitor decides to keep their price at the same price um let's go with stores retail stores target walmart. Yeah, yeah walmart and target target yeah. wants to stay with their price and then walmart decides to drop their price yes for a sale like thanksgiving or black friday sale yeah yeah and for some odd reason target is like we're so good we don't want to do a black friday sale yeah all the consumers are gonna go to walmart yeah of course like what <laughs> are you serious this is something that uh i feel like something very similar that has ha happened with uh it happens a lot in the tech world. Uh, one in particular uh, example I know, uh, this is me kind of pulling out from like some of my niche examples, right? So you have Intel who makes processors, and then you have like their main competitor who is AMD. Uh, for people who, who uh, really are into computers or like building computers, you know that Intel is like has been top dog for many, many, many years. Basically, any laptop you buy off the shelf comes uh, equipped with an Intel CPU. Most people who build PCs or like workstations, gaming uh, workstations, often go with Intel CPUs. However, recently, AMD has really shook up the market by coming out with what they call the Ryzen CPUs. And these CPUs really specialize in this bang for buck sort of uh, appeal to them. They have more cores than their Intel counterparts. They generally have better performance in most cases. And they're priced much, much lower than the Intel counterparts. And Intel, I guess, initially weren't really too faced by this because, hey, we're Intel. We already have, we're already established. We already have all this market share. We're not worried about what AMD is doing. But within recent times, that narrative is starting to change. Uh, Ryzen is uh, getting more and more popular. More laptops are starting to use AMD CPUs. And Intel has not been impressing with their latest lineup of products. This goes to the example of Apple. Ah, oh, I'm going to screw it up every time. <laughs> <laughs> Apocopolis. And this is the category that it will fall under. Uh, laptops. Uh, CPUs. They're similar products, but not identical. They work under uniqueness and innovation. Mm -hmm. And that's just just piggybacking off of the dominant strategy. Yeah. Is what they want to use to manipulate the market in their favor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like a one move for every move that the competitors are going to do. Or at least three of the moves. And maybe not every, but three of the moves. Just going back off Brian's video game example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That about uh, wraps up what we have to say here. Uh, we could go on about game theory. You know, people 
have <laughs> written full length books. Exactly. And we were just we were just t- we were just touching the surface. Yeah, That's this just... is the very, very, very tip yeah. of the iceberg. <laughs> exactly. And we were more so touching on our interests about game mm-hmm. theory. Mm-hmm. Uh I feel like there's so many different variations how th- game theory is used in our daily lives that we probably don't even notice. Yeah. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. we, we research, it's all subconscious. Exactly. We research only so much. Like mm-hmm. people would probably go way more in depth. Like Brian said, people have written books of like hundreds, probably people have written book series. Yeah, on exactly. Game theory, exactly. Like. Hundreds of pages of, about game theory. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, please reach us out on social media. My Twitter account is Nigma underscore RM, uh, and my Instagram is P dot Nigma. That's P dot N I G M A. My Instagram, and you can find me on Twitter at Brian D Lifer. That's B R I A N D L E I F E R. Uh, I don't really have a, a Instagram account right now. Uh, I've basically been. Doing my social media exploration on Twitter nowadays. So, you know, you can uh, hit me up there. There's nothing wrong with that. Honestly, <laughs> having so much, like, social media activity, uh, I don't know. You, you, you miss it. It can definitely corrupt the mind. That's yeah. That can be a whole episode topic of its, its own. Exactly. <laughs> media you, you, literacy. You, you, you lose out so much on life when mm-hmm. you do that. So, mm-hmm. I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, until next time, listeners, stay well, stay healthy. Thank you for watching NCAST. Thank you for listening to the NCAST as well. I said watching, didn't I? Yeah. Hey, you, they, can, they can watch us on YouTube. <laughs> Technically, you, you know, you poof up the video on YouTube, you're watching us. Yeah, but we don't have a visual yet. And can, I'm, I'm, I'm so, a... I have such foresight of visual, <laughs> visual production on our podcast that I'm only go- doing uh, listening right now. They, we can put up uh, JPEGs of ourselves. That That's watching us. Okay. Obviously, I didn't mean to say watching. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to this. Until next time, peace out. Peace.